All right, time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, December 9th, 2008. Today will be an interesting program. I've been having one of those uh, Greek moments. I guess that's the way to put it, a Greek moment. <laughs> I'm in the, si- in the process of writing some articles, uh, more scholarly reviews of the uh, new emergent translation known as The Voice. And uh, I'm working on uh, the section of Scripture, Romans uh, chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. You know, we've covered this, at least, you know, skipped, you know, skipped through it a little bit when we uh, covered the voice a few weeks ago when we talked about it. And uh, writing a little bit, something that actually does a little bit more in-depth work in the Greek. And so it, it seems like everything right now I've been do- <laughs> everything I've been doing it's all lexicons in Greek and and stuff like that. But it's been really really uh, edifying to go back through uh, the Greek text in uh, Romans chapter three verse twenty one because you know we Lutherans we own Romans three by the way yeah <laughs> it, it's like ground zero for the uh, Protestant Reformation it really is it's the it's the test it's the passage that where Luther had his aha tower experience moment you know. And uh, so we'll we'll talk a little bit about that today, just because that's what's on my mind. Uh, we'll, and then Joel Osteen was on uh, Larry King Live last night, and uh, you know, what's funny is that we got to cover it. I mean, you know, it's always a big thing when uh, Joel Osteen's on Larry King Live. The funny thing is, after watching the interview. Um, and I think you'll kind of get the flavor for this too. It's it's not like we're hearing anything really new from Joel Osteen at all. And um, the uh, opening on how Larry King handles that is uh, just oh so interesting. And so uh, you know we'll we'll take a look at that. And then you know we got a, we got some funny stuff that we're covering. I uh, <laughs> there's apparently a. A woman who uh, had some salsa splatter on the backsplash of in her kitchen, and it looks just like the Virgin Mary. So Jesus, uh, the Virgin Mary is now making appearances not just on tortilla, but she's now in salsa too. What is it? What is the Virgin Mary's affinity with the Mexican food? I I, I don't know, but she was also in a in a um, X-ray of someone's brain. She was in an X-ray. So what was she doing in someone's brain? Can Can you evict her? I don't know, but I'm sure it's on eBay now. Oh, yes. I'm going to sell my brain on eBay because when we did, they did the scan, they found the Virgin Mary in there, right? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, in fact, today's offering at a little leaven is rather interesting. There's kind of a, a safari uh, nativity in there. I, I, I call these the Kitchmas items, and they've got a safari. I, I put a safari nativity up there, and it's a little bit bizarre because the Virgin Mary is an elephant, and Joseph is a hippopotamus. And apparently the uh, the blessed child is a hippo, so I'm not sure how this cross species thing works out. Oh man, it's just what's wrong with the uh, the authentic Jesus? <laughs> you know that that I know because he was born in a barn. Oh yeah, my mom always used to ask me that question: Were you born in a barn? Well, no, but Jesus was. So there's lots of hippos and and uh, elephants and barns. Yeah, well, there's a giraffe, there's a hippo, uh, there's a flying monkey. There's a flying monkey angel. It looks 
like it, it looks eerily, scarily similar to that thing, that flying monkey from The Wizard of Oz. Anyway, so without any further ado, we'll talk about this divine salsa spill here. This is uh, the news story that uh, came across. Let's see what we can play this here. Here we go. It's buffering. A Bakersfield woman says God has served up a miracle in her kitchen. Elvia Alvarez was making salsa in a blender when it splattered, leaving this stain on the wall. She said... Yeah, see, does that look like the Virgin Mary to you? It looks like somebody sneezed on her wall. It's kind of gross. I mean, little 409, I'd clean that right up, you know. <laughs> but she says it looks just like the Virgin Mary. It looks just like the Virgin Mary. Alvarez calls the stain a sign from God. And you know what? She says that since it appeared, she's noticed a strong smell of roses in her house, even though... That would be the strong smell of rotting salsa. It's, it's, it smells very similar to roses when salsa rots. I wonder if the mold that grows on this will, you know, maybe it'll make the Virgin Mary look like she has a beard or something. There aren't any roses nearby. And of course, a lot of people equate the smell of roses with the with, Virgin Mary. Yes, absolutely. Well, so there you have it. Virgin Mary has made an appearance in a kitchen via salsa splash. Why is it that we're looking for God and the divine and the spiritual... Everywhere else other than in Scripture. You, you, you ever stop to think about that? Why? It just doesn't, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make a darn bit of sense to me, and I'm very confused about the whole thing. So there, there you got it, the, uh, the, the Virgin Mary making an appearance via blender salsa splash. Right. And you remember Phyllis Tickle? We talked about Phyllis Tickle not too long ago. She's She wrote the book, The Great Emergence. Yes. yes. Yeah. And we, we played one of her videos, audio from one of her videos, where she was basically saying every 500 years, there's this incredible thing that happens in Christianity. And this is just, you know, this emergent church movement is just the next great, latest and greatest thing that happens every 500 years. This is just, and this is it, you know. And we went through the list of things. That she listed off about the, you know, that happens every 500 years and just we're basically scratching our head going, huh? You know, you just apply a little bit of um, mental power. You know, believe it or not, God intended for that thing between your ears to be used. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given you one. But uh, you apply just a little bit of mental power and poof, it goes away. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, apparently Phyllis Tickle uh, was the key speaker at uh, a conference that occurred Friday and Saturday called The Great Emergence, named after her book, okay? And um, in, in her, this is rather interesting. Um, there was a guy who was uh, blogging about it, who was a, one of these emergent types. He's got a blog called Missio Dei, uh, The Mission of God. And he was talking about um, uh, you know, the, her, what she was saying, and she basically um, makes the claim that it's not a matter of if um, Sola Scriptura ends, but when. <laughs> I kid you not. Um, <clears throat> this is, um, let's see if I can pull this this stuff up because it's just oh so good. And the, you know, the people who were, um, the, the people who were organizing this event uh, Doug Paget and Tony Jones of the Emergent Church. This was their event, and and uh, Phyllis Tickle was their special speaker. And uh, let, let me see if I can find this here. Uh, find Sola Scriptura. 
you know, I, what I need is a computer that just obeys my commands, you know. Wouldn't that be cool? Very Star Trek-like. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> okay, let's let's see. Sola, 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 Sola. There we go. Well, okay. Let's see here. Um, yeah. All right. Phyllis Tickle. All right, this is... Um, Today was, uh, this is from the website, the Missio Day blog. Today was day one in the Great Emergence Conference, and to a large extent, it was a deeper summary of each part of the book, including some of the key dates, pivotal m- m- moments, and even and events that helped create what we experience now. Phyllis Tickle made a significant point about this, uh, about how this turn is deeply effect- affecting the concept of Sola Scriptura. One of the things that actually caught my attention was Tickle's comment that there are 44 specific events that underline the move away from Sola Scriptura, and I would love to see what those 44 are, but that would be like icing on the cake. The final subject in the turn away will be how we address homosexuality in the church. She reiterated that it's not if Sola Scriptura ends, but when. A little scary. Yeah. And uh, which is really interesting, um, Pope, let me find this, because she makes a comment about a paper Pope. Uh, here it is. This is from her book, um, from Phyllis Tickle's book, The Great Emergence. And she says, always without fail, the thing that gets lost early in the process of a, re- of, of a reconfiguration is any clear and general understanding of who or what is to be used as the arbiter of correct belief, act- action and control. The Reformation was to answer the question, sola scriptura, sola scriptura. Okay, and, uh, you know, then see, there you go. On any religious, any religious movement, what is going to be arbiter of what is true and what is false? The Reformation's answer is sola scriptura, the Bible alone. Okay, now she is not uh, a fan of sola scriptura. Okay, and it's nice that the emergent folks are coming out of the closet, so to speak, on this issue. Um, she saw, while we may laugh and say that the divisiveness was uh, Protestant, that divisiveness was Protestantism's greatest gift to Christianity, it's like a somber joke. Denominationalism is a disunity in the body of Christ, and ironically one that has a bloody history. Now, some 500 years later, even with many of the most diehard Protestants among us, have grown suspicious of, of Scripture and Scripture alone. Uh, we question what the word, what the words mean, literally, metaphorically, actually. We even question which words do and do not belong in Scripture. The purity of the editorial line of descent of those that do. We begin to refer to Luther's principle of sola scriptura as having been little more than the creation of a paper pope in in the place of a flesh and blood one. And even as we speak, the authority ha- that has been in place for five hundred years withers away in our hands. So there you have it. We've, uh, you know, the emergent church movement has come right out and attacked openly sola scriptura and, and basically questioned it to the point where they they are foreseeing the end of the tyranny of the Bible. Right. Well, my question is, you know, if you're gonna, if the Bible alone doesn't dictate what is true and false regarding uh, God and the things that He said, then what are you going to replace it with? Right. The Book of Mormon? A, a new Bible. A new Bible? Uh, your own personal feelings? I mean, remember, Tony Jones last week came out and basically said that uh, he, you know, he, he believes that uh, the church should accept and bless uh, same-sex marriages because that was his feelings. 
Okay, so should we if we if we chuck sola scriptura that the Bible alone is the word of God, we can no longer say God's word says you can't do that. Pretty much anything goes at that point, doesn't it? I, I would say so. Yes. You know, you know, I'm going to write my own epistle, you know, and get it in there. You know, so I, I, hey, folks, if we're going to chuck sola scriptura, you can come up with any excuse or experience of the spiritual or divine that you claim that you've had. And it's on par with God's word, right? Yes. Okay, yes, well, yes. just, you know. So what are we going to replace? The liver shiver? Should you only trust somebody who uh, practices Lectio Divina? So they got you know, somebody who got a word from God while practicing Lectio Divina. Should we use the force? You know, call up you know Yoda and the other Jedi masters and learn how to use the force. How about the Dalai Lama? I mean, maybe he has an experience of the divine, which, by the way, kind of leads you know, uh, in uh, in uh, in McLaren's new book. He he claims that Muhammad had a had an encounter with the divine. I'll I'll have to talk about that tomorrow. Later this week, I'm going to have Lane Chapman in the studio. We're going to have him in on Thursday, and uh, Lane is a is a good guy. He's a he's reformed, but we won't hold it too much against him but uh he's gonna he's gonna come in the studio he he does a lot of youtube videos and makes a lot of resources available on the internet for just regarding good sound christ-centered doctrinal stuff and uh just you know love lane to pieces and uh look forward to having him in the studio and uh, i promised him that uh, we would do the kung fu panda review while he was here because you know he he, he says can we do a, can we do a really bad sermon review together i'm all all right you know I'm all, how would you like to do kung fu panda and he's all are you serious I'm all, yeah, that's really that's really a sermon. He's all, you're kidding me. That's not really a sermon. Oh, yeah, it's the Kung Fu Panda sermon. So we'll, we'll do that on Thursday. Anyway, so here we've got the emergent church movement openly now attacking Sola Scriptura. And my question is really, what are we going to replace it with? Maybe Jefferson's Bible. Jefferson's Bible. You know, Thomas Jefferson had the – it's the Jeffersonian Bible. And uh, he had the, uh, the 18th century version of an exacto knife. And anywhere in in the Bible, in, in especially in the New Testament, where miracles occurred, he mm-hmm. just took the his little knife and he cut them right out. You know, so uh, even, Jeff, even the virgin birth. Oh yeah, that had to go. Okay, because every good 18th century deist knew that there's no such thing as miracles, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what David Hume said. You know, so they were they were just being good Enlightenment philosophers. Not believing in the miracle, so you know basically any you know that was Jefferson's idea. You just anywhere where there's a miracle, get rid of it because that's just offensive. You, can, you can't believe in in miracles, you know that's sissy baby stuff. Only kids believe in magic and things like that, right? So so he yeah he did his thing. So who was who who's going to decide then? If the Bible doesn't decide, if Scripture alone is in our authority, then I guess it's the Wild West all over again. You know, and might makes right. Whoever can shout the loudest or get the biggest audience, you know, they I guess they win. Right. The Church of Sunday Morning Sports. You know, I'd like to see uh, Phyllis Tickle and some uh, football pads going against. uh, uh, (laughs) I don't know. Ken Silva, you know, somebody like that. Or, you know, see, there we go. We, We can make theology like a full contact sport. 
And so what happens is if you want your theological position or idea or experience to be considered to be, you know, an authoritative source, then you have to actually get into the octagon (laughs) (laughs) and and, and, uh, wrestle Rex Kwando. You know, how do you decide what truth is anymore, right? But you know what's funny is is that Scripture says that all 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 Scripture is God breathed, and is profitable for correcting and teaching and rebuking and training in righteousness. That's what the Bible says about itself. It doesn't say that about your liver shiver or your experience of God via the lectio divina. Um, I, you know, maybe maybe we should say that it's only a valid spiritual experience if you were wearing a tin foil pyramid hat. At the time that you receive the direct experience from God, what do the guys on MythBusters say? I reject your reality and substitute my own. That's right. That's right. So there we have it. Um, so uh, not surprising to see the emergent church movement now openly attacking sola scriptura, which is really funny because I remember in the early days, you know, this is three years ago now, of when the emergent movement was just kind of getting on everyone's radar screen and people going, what do these guys believe? And they were accusing them of being liberal and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, what's funny is they've got, they try to go out of their way to uh, make it so that they're not liberal, but uh, the end result is complete liberal garbage, you know, the same stuff, you know. God is still apparently speaking to us, you know, so that the Bible, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have that pesky Bible being in the way, right? Isn't that how it goes? You know, know, let me go into my email. Yesterday, I did get an email from somebody who pointed me to something that Chuck Curry recently wrote, and he's in in his definition of uh, what a Christian is, you know, and, uh, definition of a Christian. Here we go. Let me, let me pull this up. See if these, uh, this, these definitions sound any better bit familiar to you about uh, what a Christian is. Um, Chuck Curry writes, um, and uh, this was uh, this he this was a comment that he left at uh, somebody else's website, and it's um, just oh so interesting. And uh, Chuck Curry's that guy who we've done the sermon reviews on, where he basically everybody's uh, everybody's a Christian, you know, kind of everybody is saved that kind of stuff. So uh, Chuck <laughs> Chuck Curry, he writes, um, okay, this is what he says, what's important about being a, uh, a Christian. He says, God is the creator who calls us to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So Christians are ones who do justice. Superheroes. Apparently, you know, the League of Justice. Wonder <laughs> Twin Powers activate. Form of a bucket of water. Form of an eagle. You know, and then you, and then you go and you splash yourself on somebody and baptize them. Yeah, baptize them. You know, dry, fly by baptismos. Okay, Chuck Curry continues. In the life of Jesus, the people of God experienced what authentic human beings could and should be. Um. Authentic human. Uh, <clears throat> Last time I checked, authentic human beings by nature are sinners. You really want to know what they're like? Well, wars, rumors of wars, you know, f- famine, disease, murders, thefts, adultery. That's authentic. That's authentic humanity, right there, right? Yeah, at least in its fallen state. Um, scripture is a human response to God. Chuck Curry writes, Scripture is a human response to God that contains the stories of how humanity understood some of our earliest encounters with the divine. 
Oh, okay. So it's just a human response that contains the stories of how humanity understood some of our earliest encounters with the divine. And, um, and he says that encounters with God still continue. Therefore, God is still speaking. So the, the, apparently this is not a closed book. You know, you got to stop going with this. And, and then, then Chuck Curry says, rigid formulation of doctrine or attachment to creeds or structures limits us as we attempt to discern God's will. Really? Doctrine and creeds limit limits us. You know what it does do? It definitely is limiting because it defines truth very narrowly. And uh, when you do things like that, you exclude people who disagree with God's word and basically say, uh, you're not a Christian. So these uh, concepts here um, that uh, Chuck Curry says are the things that define a Christian, I don't see them anywhere in Scripture. This is just his his malarkey. But here we are. Everyone think is thinking that uh, um, that God still speaks to us, and when he does, it's on par with Scripture. And what we have in the Bible is just human beings who've written down their experiences. And you can have these experiences, too, because God is still speaking. And if, and if the, your experiences disagree with somebody else's experience, they weren't meant to be rigid formulations or things like that, right? <sighs> i got to open up my Bible again, because, you know, what does Scripture say about sound doctrine? Sound doctrine. Pulling it up. Here we go. <clears throat> Apparently a lot. But the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. I think that's now, right? We're rejecting sola scriptura. We believe that God is still speaking. And creeds and theologies and formulations are limiting when it comes to experiencing God. Uh, Titus says, Hold, holding fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching that he may be able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. Over and over again, I have to keep coming back to this this thing. The scriptures talk about sound doctrine, and uh, ti- Paul exhorts Tom, uh, Titus, you know, as for you, speak the things that are fitting or in accord with sound doctrine. Apparently, um, in Paul's experience with God, God wanted things to be limited to sound doctrine, and wanted people who didn't speak sound doctrine to be refuted or told to be quiet or rebuked. How strange is that? So, I mean, whose experience do you believe? Chuck Curry's experience? Phyllis Tickles? We don't want to believe in Sola Scriptura. That paper Pope, you know, you might, folks, we might want to put together some construction paper kit for your kids to put together to put a Pope hat on your, on your Bible, you know, so that you can proper, and, and a little golden ring that you can kiss too before you open it, you know, because the Bible is a paper Pope. Hey, yeah, I mean, and here's the funny thing: there are people who are reading, who are reading this stuff, and going, "Yeah, yeah, that's the truth." I, I don't, I don't want, don't want to be limited by God's word. That pesky old God's, it always gets in the way of what I want to do, right? <laughs> anyway, all right. So, as promised, we'll start the segment before we do our, uh, before we go into our break. But um, the voice. Okay, the new emergent translation, rather interesting. I've been, you know, I've been spending a lot of time writing this article, and I just got to talk about it because it's like right in the front of my brain here. And uh, the voice, Romans chapter three, verses twenty-one through twenty-six. We Lutherans own this passage. Okay, yeah, ain't nobody got this one better than we do. All right, um, but let me read it for you in the ESV. 
and uh, we'll talk about what the uh, what the voice says before we go into our break. The ESV translates this translates this very well, although it's you still miss some of the nuances of the Greek, and I'll bring those out as we talk about it. it says, uh, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of, of uh, one who has faith in Jesus. Now, it's an interesting passage, okay, but what does it all mean? Okay, this is where it gets interesting. Okay, in the Greek, um, you, you got this phrase in verse 21, talking about the righteousness of God. The diaka sune theu, all right? Gesundheit, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's a very interesting phrase, the diakasune theu, the righteousness of God. What is that referring to? What is the righteousness of God? You know, have any idea? I mean, it means God's righteous, and that's not exactly what that means either. Yeah, you would think, well, what is that? What is what does it mean when when the scripture says there in Romans chapter three verse twenty one, the righteousness of God? Well, getting into some good Greek lexicons, like BDAG or the uh, the uh, analytical lexicon of the Greek New Testament, um, it's really interesting. In Romans chapter 321, they claim, these Greek scholars claim, that what's being referred to here, this righteousness of God, it's a righteousness that is bestowed on human beings by God. Interesting, huh? We're not so we're not talking about some kind of an attribute of God. Where it, the righteousness of God referred to in Romans three twenty one is a righteousness that God bestows on humans. Okay, and so when you read it that way, th- but now the righteousness that is bestowed by God on humans has been made manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. This righteousness of God, this righteousness that's bestowed on humans, is bestowed through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, for all who believe, for there is no distinction. So, how how do you get this? This how do you, how does God bestow righteousness on you? This righteousness, how does He dis- bestow this righteousness? He does this through faith in Jesus Christ. So, what happens is, it's through faith. You can say via faith if you want to. That's the vehicle by faith in Jesus Christ, and faith, which that's trust, has its object as Jesus Christ. Well, listen carefully to what the uh, the voice does with this passage. The voice, Romans chapter 3, 21 says this, but now for the good news, God's restorative justice has entered the world independent of the law and both the law and the prophets told us that this day would come. This redeeming justice comes through the faithfulness of Jesus, the liberating king who makes salvation a reality for all who believe without the slightest partiality. You get that? It doesn't even, it's, it's completely different. Especially in chat, in verse 22, it's where they say that this redeeming justice comes through the faithfulness of Jesus. That's not what the text says. The righteousness of God, this bestowal of righteousness, is, is through faith in Jesus Christ. They make uh, the, the Greek word uh, uh, pistuos there in the Greek. 
They make it modifying Jesus. Okay? Um, but uh, comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It's via faith. not it, it's So they actually have faithfulness modifying the word Jesus rather than Jesus being the object of trust. It's a very slippery thing that they're doing in there, and they're, they're completely taking away um, this idea that God declares us righteous, which is what the text says is, is, is happening. God is bestowing on us his righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. But when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, how some of this bears out in, this, in another passage that uh, you can bring to bear here that really clearly shows this. But uh, man, I'm telling you, you know, these emergent guys... Not only are they making war with Sola Scriptura, but they're even going so far as to changing and mangling God's word to make it say something that it doesn't. What are they making war with? Forensic justification that God declares you righteous in Jesus. And uh, that, my friends, is what we call a <clears throat> uh, false gospel. So I uh, just wanted to uh, make sure that you... Uh, or duly warned. All right, well, we're going to take our first break, and when we come back, we'll continue talking about that. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far, you can at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, and we will be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Hello and welcome back to the evening news. Our top story this evening comes from the little town of Plano, Texas. Pastor Martin Spurgeon of Christ Redeems Church has issued a challenge to his congregation to read their Bibles for 30 days in a row. Naturally, we here at the number one relevant news network wanted to investigate and find out how people are reacting to Pastor Spurgeon's idea. Our top reporter, Mickey Dunwood, asked everyday people on the street what they thought, and this is what they said. Is that kind of like the 30-day sex challenge? Because I like that one so much better because it was cardio and it was good and I lost weight and I totally burned off the calories of the stick of gum that I had for lunch today. That was so much easier than reading because reading hurts my head. I would much rather do the sex challenge, if you know what I mean. <laughs> the Bible is so out of date and irrelevant. I don't see how I can possibly find my purpose in life. I've got Rick Warren's book. That's all I need. He wants me to what? No, I don't think I'll do that. I can't read. 
Doesn't he know that his church will just shrink like a frightened turtle? I want my base life now, and this doesn't fit into that category. Yeah, you know what? I would like to see him try that himself. Wanting more reactions to this provocative challenge, we went to Stephen Furtick and asked him what he felt about Pastor Spurgeon's challenge. Did you show up to file a little bit more religious information in your already overloaded hard drive so that you could do absolutely nothing about it? The church is full of pot-bellied Christians waiting to shove their spiritual food down their mouth one more time, but they don't intend to do anything to bless anybody. You are a Pharisee. You sit on the front row. You might even take notes, but you take notes so you can argue with them with your roommate after church and how I don't really believe in all that. Yeah, but if we ever start turning in this front row Pharisee crowd, I don't think the teaching's deep enough. I would like a little more hermeneutical explanation on the original languages in the Aramaic and the Hebrew. Jesus says, shut up. Help somebody, bless somebody, heal somebody, serve somebody, pray for somebody. Why don't you do something? Why don't you bring a lost friend to church with you next week? Watch Jesus change their life. And then you won't be worried about how loud the music was. You'll just hope that they meet Jesus. So there you have it, folks. Pastor Spurgeon has issued the challenge, and it seems that people are simply not enthusiastic. Well, that's all the news for this evening. Catch us tomorrow night when we discuss the Emergent Church's new translation of the New Testament. Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are hand-picked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and my name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. What is my job? Well, my job is to dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment. We ask the question, is that what God's Word really says? So many times we just find out, well, no, that's not what it says. Why? Because we've completely become unbuckled from God's Word. Just a reminder, folks, Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith need your support. If you would like to partner with us and continue, and like to see this uh, radio program continue, uh, the way you do so is by sending in your gift to Pirate Christian Radio, Post Office Box 791, San Juan Capistrano, California, zip code 92693. That's Pirate Christian Radio, Post Office Box 791, SJC, California, 92693. As you uh, consider... You're giving for the end of the year. Please consider Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith. We could truly use your support. 
All right, we're talking about um, the the tr- new trans the the voices translation of Romans chapter three. Now, there's a kicker that I didn't quite get to yet, and um, in the voice it talks about restorative justice, and it's like, what is that? So, is they're translating the Greek word? I know this is a little technical. The Greek word for righteousness, uh, the 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 diakasune theu, the righteousness of God. They're translating it as God's restorative justice. What is that? What is God's restorative justice? Well, I found that that's actually a phrase that's that's used out there in uh, in social justice circles. Believe it or not, this is from the Suffolk University website. It says this is what it says about restorative justice. Restorative justice is a broad term which encompasses a growing social movement to institutionalize peaceful approaches to harm, problem solving, and violations of legal and human rights. These range from international peace tri- uh, peacemaking tribunals such as the Truth Reconciliation, the Commission of South Africa, to innovations within our own criminal justice system, schools, social services, and communities. Rather than privileging the law, professionals, and the state, restorative resolutions engage those who are harmed, wrongdoers, and their affected communities in search of solutions that promote repair, reconciliation, and the rebuilding of relationships. Isn't that weird? Restorative justice is a process. For victims, restorative responses empower victims to, uh, by offering them a voice in the process, an opportunity to ask questions and seek answers, afford them a role in decision-making and the avenues for healing, restitution, and emotional support. So there's a, there's a movement out there in the social justice circles designed specifically to provide an alternative to the current legal system? And engage in restorative justice. I thought that's weird. You know, not hard to say whether or not these emergent guys are aware of this. But I don't, you know, how does uh, V from uh, the, the movie V for Vendetta say it? I like uh, God don't play with dice. Don't believe in coincidence. I, I think there's something going on here. But here's the deal. So in the in the Greek text in Romans 3.21, it literally is teaching us that God bestows righteousness on us through faith in Jesus Christ, okay, that he declares us to be righteous. And when we read uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, listen to this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, in verse 24, it says, okay, 23 says all have sinned, and verse 20 says, and are justified. Now, that's a weird word, okay? And in English, we don't quite get what's going on with that word. And so, so I did some more study because, you know, that's what I'm doing now. It just seems like I'm spending a lot of time, you know, working in the Greek. But um, very, very interesting Um word here being justified okay the greek verb there is dikio okay dikio and the greek word literally means to pronounce someone to be righteous this is what a judge does okay so if you want to get a, a clear term of what it means to be justified the greek word dikaio means like a judge saying to somebody who's standing before the bar i declare you not guilty okay so it's a pronounced righteousness 
So in when you when you look when you understand that DKIO is that being justified is God pronouncing His righteousness to you, okay? That's what justification means. So when we talk about somebody being justified, we are justified by grace through faith. We are literally saying, if you follow the Greek words here, we are saying that God declares us righteous. Not because of anything we've done or the law-keeping that we've done, but he declares us righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, by grace through faith in Christ. It's all, it's all there in Romans chapter 3. But um, that's not what the, uh, the voice does with it. But rather than talk about the voice, let me, let me give you another example of that Greek word, dikaio, to be justified. Luke chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, you might want to go to Luke chapter 18. This is interesting. There's another occurrence of this verb um, in uh, in verse 14, and I'll read the whole story because it's so worth it. All right, let's see here. Let's see. And there it is. All right, so here we go. Jesus told this parable to certain ones. This is Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Jesus told this parable parable to certain people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Now, that's an interesting Greek. You know, that's an interesting, for people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. In other words, these people were self-righteous, okay, uh, and viewed others with contempt. So if you're self-righteous and you view others with contempt, Jesus told this parable just for you. Two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. Okay, now tax collectors, just so you know how the social hierarchy works back in uh, first century Israel, you've got dogs. Just above dogs, you've got prostitutes. And just barely above prostitutes, I mean barely, are tax collectors. Okay, um, these are people that you just don't look, you know, with any, you know, maybe a modern day equivalent would be like a pimp or, a, or maybe a drug dealer. Something, somebody like that, okay? So two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a, a, a pimp or tax collector. You know, a guy works for the IRS, okay? The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, the unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes. Of all that I get, that's quite a that's quite a prayer. <laughs> wow! <clears throat> but the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. But instead, he was beating his breast, saying, "God, be merciful to me, a sinner." Jesus said, "I tell you that this man, that the tax collector." went down to his house justified rather than the other, rather than the tax collector. In other words, I tell you that the tax collector went to his house declared righteous, the Greek says, declared to be righteous by God himself rather than the other guy. Okay? So the whole point of what's going on here in Romans chapter 3 is that this righteousness of God, this is a righteousness that's bestowed on us. Literally, we are declared to be righteous, not because of our keeping of the law, our good works, or anything like that, but purely for the sake of Jesus Christ and purely 
100% is a gift by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the text says. And it says it beautifully, and it says it clearly, and it's such good gospel, and the voice completely messes it up. Really, really badly. But rather than talk about it more on the radio, what I'll do is uh, stay tuned. And uh, when I when I put it on my website, extremetheology.com, I'll give you guys a tip and you can go visit. But I'm still in, in the process of kind of cleaning things up and still got a few more verses I need to talk about. But anyway, good stuff, though, about being declared righteous. Well, that's what justification is. We are declared. It's forensic. You didn't earn it. You 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 don't stand before God in your own righteousness. You can't. You can't purchase it. You can't even earn it in part through your own good works and and law-keeping. It's 100% gift. It's bestowed on you as a gift. And that is just the best news in the whole world, man. The best news in the whole world. All right, we're going to talk now. Again, two days in a row. Joel Osteen, I'm on Joel Osteen Overload. Yeah, we're going to play some... (laughs) We're going to play some clips from, actually, we'll play most of his appearance on Larry King Live last night. And uh, this starts off in a very interesting way, and I want you to hear how Larry King set up this interview. So without any further ado, we will be playing audio from the video of uh, Joel Osteen's appearance last night, he and his wife, Victoria, on Larry King Live. Here we go. Tonight, mega preacher Joel Austin. If ever there was a hunger for hope, that financial difficulty is not going to last forever. This too shall pass. A need for faith. You are not a victim. You are a victor. A desperate desire to believe in ourselves. Did you hear that? A desperate desire to believe in ourselves. Yeah, as you listen to Joel Osteen, um, Pay close attention to how many times he mentions Christ, sin, the gospel, repentance, the forgiveness of sins on the cross, all of that stuff. See, see if you can. Is this the church of me? Yeah. Well, you got to believe in yourself. Okay. Well, listen, there's more to this. We continue. You hold the seeds of change within you. You be the change you want to see. Now, you hold the seeds of change within you. You be the change you want to see. Is this the message that Jesus preached? Uh, all right, just but he, you know that's a church, the old compact center there. Uh, we continue. Now's the time. There is a way to ride out this storm of economic hardship, and you can get a grip on it. Get through it. Get back on track. Joel Austin and his wife Victoria are going to be here to tell you how. And they'll take your calls next on Larry King Live. Larry King is setting up this interview like it's an infomercial. They're going to teach you how to get through these hard economic times, how to have hope, how to believe in yourself. All right. Always a pleasure to welcome the Osteens to Larry King Live. Joel is the senior pastor for the Lakewood Church in Houston. It's home to America's largest congregation. He's a best-selling author as well. And his wife, Victoria, she's co-pastor at that church, author of the new book. What? She's co-pastor? She's co-pastor at that church. They're, They're a team. I thought the Bible didn't allow women to be pastors. Okay. 
So we got uh, Pastor Joel Osteen and Pastrix Victoria, a.k.a. Heresy Barbie. Of your life, living happy, healthy, and whole. Have it right here, and there you see its cover. And she and Joel have uh, uh, two children. I was meant to ask you, were you are you related to the late, or not the late, the former Dodger pitcher Claude Osteen? No, I'm not. I get asked a lot, but I'm not. It's an odd name, right? I know it is. And I believe he pitched in Houston for a while, too. I think so, way yeah. back. Okay. Yeah, leading off literally with a softball question. Da da da. Yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, sorry. What do you make of all this? Bleak news, economic tumult, terrorism. You look at the world. Only you could be optimistic. Only you. Well, you know what? It is a difficult time, Larry, but I think in times like these, we need to turn to our faith and we need to believe that, that God is in control. And Turn to our faith. That's a very weird way of talking about faith. You know, faith is like eyeballs. That's a bad sentence, isn't it, John? Yeah. Yeah, faith, faith, having faith is like your is like your vision. It's like your eyeballs. Faith always has an object. Okay, can you see your eyeballs without the aid of a mirror? Can you turn to you know? So, so here's the deal. So faith is always is only as good as the object that you put it in, right? It's not supposed to be. Well, is this faith in faith? We're going to turn to our faith. It's a, it's just a very interesting turn of phrase because when I think of faith, in, in my mind, I substitute the word with Jesus. <laughs> you know, I'm going to turn to Jesus in this time because my faith is in him, right? We continue. That, you know, that it will pass, that there will be good days up ahead. I don't think to get bitter, to get negative, to get discouraged, that just makes things worse. You have to take action. Yeah, I do. I think you have to be responsible, be frugal, do what you can, but then you've got to expect, you know, you've got to believe that God will do what you can't do. And it just seems like to me, Larry, that, you know, fear is contagious. It seems like all overall, that's all we hear about, you know, the, the you know, difficult times and how we're not going to make it through. And if you listen to that enough, you can talk yourself in to, you know, having a bad life. Whereas, is this like the uh, Mary Baker Eddy's... Uh, <laughs> Science and health with key to the scriptures, you know, the mind sciences thing. If you just have a positive outlook, you know, and you realize that diseases aren't real, that you can't be affected by disease. You know what I'm saying? There's a joke that Walter Martin used to tell about a a Christian scientist in hell. And the Christian scientist was off in the corner of hell, literally being tormented by the wrath of God, in the sitting in the corner saying to themselves, I'm not here. I'm not here. I'm not here. I, I, I'm, I'm not here. <laughs> Doesn't do you any good, though, does it? No. All right. Okay. So. Okay. So just turn that frown and turn that frown upside down and have a positive outlook and you know, we got air to breathe. We got to we got to believe that this day is a gift, even though it's difficult. Let's find something to be grateful for and and press forward and get through this time. How do you know? And I don't mean this in a mean fashion. That what you're offering is not a crutch. It's comfortable to hear that. Okay, it ain't my problem. It's his. Well, no, I don't think it's I don't think it's God's problem. But I think God gives us strength to make it through difficult times. Mm. And I don't think this is a time to get discouraged and to get you know to get all, all fearful. I do believe in being responsible and, you know, doing what we can. But uh, today it seems like so many people are just, you know, making plans to be defeated and depressed for the next year. Victoria, couldn't God prevent these? They're making plans to be defeated and depressed. 
You know, folks, if uh, you've received a pink slip lately and your company is going out of business or your company has just downsized you right out of it, um, apparently it's because you've made plans to be depressed and... <sighs> Times? Well, you He's know He's omnipotent. What? He is omnipotent. He's a good God. Even in the tough times, he's still a good God. But you know what? We, we have our free will. We do things. We make choices. We have our free will? Huh. Yeah, we don't have that. Voices. And, you know, I'm like, Joel, when you use your faith, it gives you energy. It gives you uh, the ability to be... Listen to the way she's talking about it. When you use your faith, it gives you energy. Is faith like a monster drink? This is a weird way to talk about faith. You know, because in my mind, again, I'm substituting the word Jesus. If I use my Jesus, it gives me energy. It, doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense because faith always has an object. All right. Be able to see beyond where you are right now and see into the future. I know when I get down and discouraged, it's hard for me to be able to just see anything except for right where I am. And so that's why I think this is a, the way you have to always keep yourself motivated and try to keep yourself looking, you know, forward. You ever doubt it? Doubt your faith? Doubt my faith? I don't doubt my faith. No? I really don't. No matter what. <sighs> Again, this is a weird way to talk about faith. Do you doubt your Jesus is the way I would translate that, but that's not how she's using it because she's using faith in some kind of a means to an end. The, the, just the way she's talking about it doesn't biblically fit because faith always has an object. What happens? I don't Hurricane doubt. Hurricane goes through the town. No. That's not, that's not man's uh, will. No, you know what? My faith is like this. When I die, I'm going to live with God forever and ever, but I believe he wants us to have a good life here on earth Really? I believe God wants us to have a good life here on earth. What was the important word there? I believe. Oh, okay. So her belief is now on par with scripture. I believe God wants us to have a good life here on earth. Well, Sister Osteen, and I say that in the most generous way possible. My question would be, what do you make of all the people who suffer when they confess Christ? Of all of our brothers and sisters in the Lord who, upon confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior and, con and have repented of their sins and received Christ's forgiveness and mercy freely, that the next thing that happens to them is that they're arrested or persecuted or disowned by their family or ostracized or excluded from being able to buy anything and, and thrown out on, their, on the streets or taken into prison or in the ancient times, you know, thrown into the arena, fed to the lions, burned at the stake, uh, crucified upside. You know, I thought you said that God wants, you believe that God wants us to have a good life here on earth. Did these people do something wrong? Did they not have enough faith? Huh. Just a very interesting, interesting way of talking. Let's continue. But whatever happens, you know what? He's still a good God. Do you ever wonder, Joel, like why he doesn't, with this power and this love, prevent travesties? Well, yeah, this is this is a hardball question regarding the nature of evil, by the way. And uh, Joel Osteen doesn't do hardball questions. He he did the softball question right at the beginning just fine. I think, you Does know, maybe. puzzle you? Well, I guess sometimes it could if you looked at it that way. But, you know, the scripture talks about in life you will have difficulties and hardships. 
but it says, uh, be of good cheer, for, you know, God has overcome the world. And so I think it's, you know. Is that even in context? <laughs> Just be of good cheer. I've overcome the We're going to have to. Uh, yeah, I've de- I de- detect the fact checker necessary at this point. So, um, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take our second break. And when we come back, we'll do a little fact checking with, uh, Joel Osteen here, um, to see if, uh, this is even remotely close to what the passage says. Ay, 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 ay. Okay. Um, if you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard so far on Talkback and Fighting for the Faith, or even something you've heard in a previous program. Email me, talkback, fightingforthefaith.com, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology made accessible. Okay, we're back. In the middle of uh, listening to a little Joel Osteen. Had to uh, do some biblical fact checking. You got to do that with Joel. Got to do it with Rick Warren too. Both those guys use the message paraphrase like it's going out of style. Yeah, as if that's some you know that paraphrase somehow the uh, 
the new divinely inspired translation of the Bible. It's not even close to a translation. It's really bad. Anyway, we got Joel Osteen. Uh, basically, uh, let's let's no, let's let people, let's you know, back this up just a little bit. Hang on. Yeah, there we go. Well, I guess sometimes it could if you looked at it that way. But you know, the scripture talks about in life you will have difficulties and hardships, but it says, uh, "Be of good cheer." For, you know, God has overcome the world. And so, okay, actually, the passage he's pseudo referencing here is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, and we'll look at verses 32 and 33. Um, it's not talking about hardship. The, the word that we want to use here is much deeper than that. Yeah, he's talking about some kind of hardship and circumstances. You know, life is difficult, life is hard. We go through hardship. Well, that's. Um, funny enough, not what's being talked about in this passage. Um, hang on a second here. Hello. That's going to bug me. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, let me, um, let me force quit that. Otherwise it'll drive me nuts. All right. There we go. Okay. So, um, the, the passage actually that he's referring to is John chapter 16 verses 32 and 33, and the word is tribulation. It's not hardship. Behold, an hour is coming, Jesus said, and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, to leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world." And the uh, the Greek word there um, for tribulation is the Greek word thlipsis. That's our we're learning a lot of Greek today. Thlipsis. It's uh, English. It's T H L I P S I S. Thlipsis. What's it in Greek? Yeah. Well, that's what it is in Greek. Oh, in the Greek would be uh, theta lambda iota psi uh, omicron sigma. Okay. So you just wanted to know if I could tell you that, right? This listen. This word is not just hardship. It's trouble that inflicts distress, oppression, affliction, tribulation, is what this word means. I mean, we're not talking about hardship. We're talking about people actively, hostily tribulating you because of Christ, right? So you know, Brother Osteen hasn't quite got it right here, but uh, let's continue. I think it's, you know, we never like to let people, you know, let our message be that you'll never have problems if you trust in God, if you believe in Christ. It's, it's not that he'll give you the strength to make it through the difficult times. And I think that's what we're in now. And we turn to our faith and we believe. Well, let's turn to the car thing. Front page New York Times uh, this weekend at the Greater Grace Temple of Pentecostal Church. Congregants, they gather on stage with an SUV. Awesome. Yeah, they these uh, Detroit and uh, these Christians in Detroit were praying for passage of the bailout, you know, the Washington bailout for the car industry, and they put some SUVs on the stage at church. Um, by the way, I have a problem with churches having stages. That is, churches are not about entertainment, by the way. Um, completely different story, but we continue. The Journal has a close-up, much of the same thing. What do you make of the car industry and all of this problem? Well, you know, it's, it's um, yeah. I don't know what to make. Yeah, because Joel Osteen, he's just the paragon of, he's, an, he's, he's somebody we need to listen to regarding the economy. So he's an economic genius now, too? Apparently. 
because he's po- he's so positive. That makes him an economic genius. Now, folks, asking Joel Osteen about the economy is pretty much tantamount to asking about the Bible. By the way, he makes no bones about the fact that he's never studied to be a pastor. This is just stuff that he's just felt that he was called to do. All this positive stuff. He hasn't really actually been to seminary. He doesn't have a degree in Bible, religious studies, biblical languages, anything like that. But his dad's a pastor. Oh, yeah, sorry. See, that makes all the difference in the whole world. So asking him about the economy is like asking him about what the Bible teaches. He's not really qualified to answer the question. Make of it all. We sure don't want to see it go under. We don't want to see it hurt the American people. I don't know what the answer is. I haven't um, been up to speed of them praying over the cars. But you know what? I don't think it hurts to pray that, uh, you know, God will get us through this time. Do you... uh uh, pray, praying. For, what about a specific kind of political issue? Would you pray for a bailout? You know, I don't. I don't know that I would. I know people that that may feel that way, and I don't know that that's wrong. But I would just pray. You know, God, give our leaders wisdom. People that are smart enough to know, give us wisdom to make the right decisions, and and help the people of this country. Do you wonder how we got into all of this, Victoria? Well, you know what? We're not perfect, that's for sure. So I think it just took a lot of us to get into it. Yeah, we're sinners. We're not perfect. Jeez. That's like kind of describing Hitler as somebody who may have had some racial issues. (laughs) But he wasn't perfect, you know. But, you know, this is still a great country. This is a wonderful country. I think more people would rather be here than anywhere in the world. So that's what we have to remind ourselves of, that we're smart people. And you know what? There is a way out. And <laughs> good enough, and I'm smart enough. And uh, This is a great country, and if anybody can pull out of it, we can. You said that the Lord is our provider, not the economy, the stock market, or even jobs. Explain that. Well, I think that we can't put our trust. I mean, we're seeing it today. We can't put our trust in in things like that we gotta you know we gotta put our trust in the lord trust in that he is going to take us through no matter no matter what kind of times come notice it's not trusting in the lord for the forgiveness of sins it's trusting in the lord to get us through hard times in the scripture it talks about how god will even prosper us in a desert or cause us to flourish in a famine and and the the thought really man my ears are ringing. <laughs> Prosperous in a desert? I'm sure there's some Bible passage he's mangled and taken supremely out of context. I'm going to have to hunt for that one. But let's... Because, again, he's not reading it in context. Behind that is to believe that God is in control of your life. And that no matter where you are, even in these difficult times, that he'll help you to make it through. Where is he? Well, you know what? God, is, I believe he's in heaven, but I believe he's on the inside of us. I believe there's a place. A I believe place. there's a place called heaven, yes. I believe God lives there, but also God through his spirit can live on the each side of, of, of us. It's, you know, it's up to us to believe. And, you know, that may be far out for some people, but you know what? I believe that I, I contain a portion of God. It's his Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of me. That's what gives me air to breathe and, and life and, and the goodness. But if Oh, man. God forbid he gave you disease, then he would give you that too. Well, right? I, I mean, if you if he's in you and he's yeah, see, there here comes a, here comes a t- well. What if God gave you disease? Uh, and 
Joel Osteen, the look on his face was like, no, 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 that's not possible. He's giving you good. He also gives you tuberculosis. Well, I think there's there's evil. I mean, you didn't give it to yourself. No, no, sure. But I think there's evil, evil forces, and there are just things that are part of this life. I mean, you know, again, the scripture talks about, you know, when you get old, your, your body is going to begin to, you know, wither away, but it, it will be renewed. But I just don't think that you could say that... Um, I mean, I don't believe that God's we're going around putting sicknesses and diseases on people. I believe God's the one that restores us and heals us. But it's not a perfect world. No, it's a, it's a world completely and thoroughly marred by sin. We did this to God's creation. God didn't do it. We did. He's probably the number one preacher in America today. He's Joel Osteen. He's with his wife, Victoria. We'll talk about lots of things. He's going to preach at the new Yankee Stadium, and they ain't going to charge $3,000 a seat. Sound off and keep watching. See if we air your answer. All right, so he's uh, doing a little plug here. We're going into a commercial. So apparently Joel Osteen's going to be uh, the first non-sporting event at the new Yankee Stadium. How does that make you feel, John? I mean, you're a, you're a sports fan, right? Yeah, but I don't like the Yankees, so that's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the Yankees. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Any of you listening to you in New York, I apologize. <laughs> at, you know, right now for for John's complete, you know, lack of love and care for you Yankee fans. <laughs> They're expecting. To- All right, so let's let's go back to Joe Osteen here. I know people that are being talked in to having a bad year. They've listened to the news reports so long, they're expecting their finances to go down. They're expecting to barely get by. No, our attitude should be, I'm expecting to have my best year so far. I'm expecting God to prosper me in the desert. I'm expecting every negative situation to turn around. He sounds like a Christian scientist. Yeah, he does. I'm expecting God to prosper me in the desert. I'm expecting to turn every negative situation around. I'm expecting God to do that. So if you just expect God to do that, God has to do it? Well, you've trained him well. Hey, where is this in Scripture? You know, the problem with the Apostle Paul right before he had his head lopped off by Nero was that he just didn't expect God to turn that negative situation around. Remember when Paul was uh, preaching in, you know, in, in one of these missionary towns and they took him outside the city gates and stoned him? You know, he just... <sighs> We're back with Joel Osteen and Victoria Osteen. And Joel's, um, as we said, we'll tell you about that Yankee Stadium thing later. It's quite a thing. And Victoria's uh, new book is uh, Love Your Life, Living Happy, Healthy and whole. She also has a children's book coming. We'll ask about that. You've said, Joel. Oh, no. She's got a children's book. Folks, if you are ever in the future at a store and you see a children's book by Victoria Osteen, protect your children. Don't buy it. Even if they say, Mommy, I love the cover of this book. It's so cute. Can we get this book, Mommy? Say no. Say, I love you too much, honey, to get this book. Oh, that it's when we have faith that we can learn not to worry. What do you mean? Is faith all that people need? Well, I think you need faith to, 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 to believe, you know, and I, I always encourage people, don't use your energy to worry, use your energy to believe. It takes just as much energy to, to, to worry and say, oh man, am I going to make it through and, how, you know, how are we ever going to, you know, get through this, as it does to say, you know what, God, I believe you're in control. I believe that there's going to be good days up ahead. I believe I'm going to be at the right place at the right time. And 
I just don't think that it does any good to go around negative and discouraged and defeated. I think that makes it worse. Victoria, how do you get faith? Yeah, just go around negative, defeated, and discouraged. It makes it worse. Um, uh, where's Jesus in all of this? Absent. You know, we, we've only made veiled references to Jesus so far. Um, let's continue. If you don't have faith. Well, it's Bible, called the leap of faith. Right? right. Well, the Bible talks about faith, that everyone has a measure of faith. And I believe faith is kind of like your muscles. You know, when you use it, you develop it, you develop more faith. And so as you use your faith, you get stronger in your faith. This is faith in faith. It's, it's a faith that has a faith in itself. It's curved in on itself. Rather than a faith that trusts and looks at Christ as the object of its faith... This is faith in faith. Is faith God? No. Apparently, according to these guys, it's a weird way of talking about faith. And you're able to, you know, press past things that may have once really got you down. Are you able to, you know, Larry, it's funny because I watch myself grow, you know, in my own faith. Uh, you know, maybe two years ago, something that I just get so worried about, I'm able to, to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to put this in perspective. I'm going to do what I know to do. I'm going to believe God for what I can't do. And it's it's just all growing and maturing. I'm going to believe God for what I can't do? You know, the Book of Mormon um, says that you are saved by grace through faith after everything you can do. Did you know that? I did not know that. It's true. The Book of Mormon actually says that, that you are saved by grace through faith after everything you can do. So you do the things you, do the things you can do in God, and then trust God for the things you can't do. It's kind of a similar principle here. What is this stuff? This does not even remotely sound like biblical Christianity. In your faith. How do you respond to someone who says, well, I have faith, but uh, I lost my job. My house is being foreclosed. I don't have health insurance. What do you say to him? Well, I'll tell him this is the time that you've got to believe more than ever. You've got to do whatever you can do. Look for new opportunities. Be responsible. But... Uh, this is not the time to get just defeated and throw in the towel and think I'm never going to go any go anywhere. I don't I don't encourage people to have a victim mentality, and it's easy in life. We can all have some reason to feel sorry for ourselves, and especially now. But some people, and unfortunately you know, I wasn't, but some people weren't raised right or they went through a lot of heartache. But I just think you you can't see yourself as a victim. You got to know that God still has a plan, and that even if you lost your job, even if one door closes, God can open up another door. What do you do when you get? Just don't see yourself as a victim. A, a Bible verse would be helpful. Just, you know, something biblical here. You know. He believes. Right. He believes in his belief. Mm -hmm. You know, he has faith in his faith. Don't worry. God's got something for you. Just got to believe more than ever. Believe in what? For what? down when i get down i try to i try to uh, get back in perspective i try to find something to be grateful for you know if i if i don't feel like going through the day or i've got a lot of problems or people are criticized and things like that i think well you know what let me just get back and, and go look at my kids and think you know what lord thank you that they're healthy thank you for my wife find something to be grateful for and what if your wife wasn't healthy what if your kids weren't healthy you know life can really throw some pretty terrible things your way Second thing, Larry, I think is important when we're down is try to go do something for somebody else. It's amazing how it'll change your perspective because somebody's got it worse than you. And you may not have money to give, but you can go, 
you know, encourage somebody or bake them a cake or babysit their children, volunteer at the hospital. But there's something happens when we get outside of ourselves, you know. A new CNN. Bake them a cake. Opinion Research uh, Corporation survey shows four in ten people questioned say this recession is adding stress to their holiday season, affecting their holiday season. What do you say? Well, I wouldn't doubt that a bit, but I think, again, you have to come back to that, that belief. Take time to, with your family. Look at the good things in your life. Keep it in the right perspective. And, you know, again, I'm an optimist, but I believe this too shall pass. I believe that we'll get stronger out of this. It's in the tough times that we really grow and develop character. And the other thing, and I, I say this not to, to be negative, but sometimes, you know, situations like this cause us to do what we should have been doing a long, long time ago, meaning get our finances in order and, and not being greedy and things. And so if you buy a lesser Christmas present, so what? Right? I think so. I think so. Boy, get, this is a great time to get it in perspective and say, I'm going to celebrate the people in my life. And it's not so much the gifts. I mean, the older we get, the more we realize it's, you know what, it's not so much the gifts. It's the time you should spend together. It's the, the compliments, the encouragement. We'll be back with the Osteens in a moment. Lots more to talk about. And later, the president of the... Mm-hmm. Okay. So far... Um, so far, this is... Um, uh, what is this? Feel good. Well, yeah, it's feel good, hope, and believe in yourself, as uh, Larry uh, King... The Osteens uh, from... This is hey, from Susan me... in Alberta, California. Hang on a second here. We're Short drilling. That's a problem when you when you do this TiVo style. You got to fast forward. <laughs> All right, he's just cut, Larry King's coming out of his break here, so uh, let, let's see what he has to say about uh, the Osteens. Now, continuing on. Spent a couple moments with emails um, for uh, the Osteens uh, from this is from Susan in Alberta, California. Are you donating any of your own money to causes to help people in economic distress? If so, what causes do you support? We support all kinds of causes. One of our favorite causes is an organization called Feed the Children. Good friends of ours, Larry Jones, we supported them for years. Not necessarily just economic times, but we support Mercy Ministries. That's a home for troubled teenage girls. So we're big believers and, you know, believe in giving back. Uh, An email from Maria in Tampa. How do you stay positive without being unrealistically optimistic about our circumstances or the impact other people have on our lives? Aren't there times when it's wise to be anxious or concerned or afraid? Well, I don't know about the afraid or or anxious, but I think concerned. There's nothing wrong with being that. Victoria and I, I would say that, you know, we're we're concerned. We're watching closely. But I don't think that it goes, gives in, does any good to go around afraid and fearful and worried. You're... I found that your life follows your thoughts. If you think more about that, if you think about those things, you just draw it in. And this one from Mary in Nashville, uh, Georgia. Not not that you're necessarily the chairman of the board of an oil com- of an, a car company, but do you fly in a private jet or by commercial air carrier? Do you travel first class? We travel all different ways. It just depends on what we're doing. You know, we do some events on Sunday nights after the uh, services on Sunday where we'll take a, a charter jet, but then there'll be times we just... Travel just normal like everybody else or, you know, all different ways. Are you very wealthy? I think I'm very wealthy. I think I'm, I'm wealthy not just in money, but I'm, I'm wealthy. God's blessed us with money, but I'm wealthy in health. And Is there any conflict in a minister having money? I don't, th- I don't think so. 
I mean, I look back in the scripture and Abraham was the wealthiest man in all the East and that's where it all started from or a big part of it started from. It's all, does money have you? I mean, is that your focus? Is that what you're living for? But Christ wasn't interested in it, was he? I don't, I don't, he, he talked about money, but you know what? Jesus lived his life to help other people and I think that's what the focus is. We are blessed to help others and so, but I, I, I'll say this, I don't believe in that philosophy that, you know what, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, so I'm supposed to be poor and defeated and to show that I'm humble. I don't think that's God's will for us. I think God wants us to excel and he wants me to be blessed. You know, a lot of churches I've been to, uh, they pretty much uh, keep their pastors' salaries pretty much in check. You know, pastors don't, from most pastors I know, they don't make a lot of money. I'm, you know, but, uh, you know, Osteen's very wealthy, so. Well, I can bless other people. We'll be back with Joel Osteen and Victoria Osteen on this edition of Larry. Lots of commercials. Lots and lots of commercials here. <sighs> and, and where's Jesus? I'm just just not seeing him, not hearing him. He's a, quote, Christian pastor. Largest Christian church in America. And he's here to tell us about how to be positive. And he, I mean, what do we make of this? You know, I, John, you, you have any thoughts? Kind of like Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil. Yeah, this is Dr. This is Dr. Joel uh, Christianity. Is that what this is? So well, let's go back to uh, Larry King Live. We're coming out of the break here. Here we go. It's God's goodness that leads us. Uh, God's goodness that leads us to repentance. They took that out of context. God's kindness that leads us to repentance. A little Jill Osteen, Victoria Osteen montage there. We have so much to be grateful for. They do three sermons every weekend, one on Saturday night, two on Sunday. The arena they speak in holds 16,000. Some say that you advocate a prosperity theology, that faith will bring financial blessings. Here we go, here we go. And you say this is not what you preach. Explain, do we have a Well, a I don't like here? Yeah, I don't like that term prosperity gospel. I believe there's one gospel, and that's the fact that Jesus came and died and gave us, you know, a way for salvation. You know, the, there's one gospel. Jesus came and you know, and he died and you know, gave us a way of salvation. He doesn't sound like he's all that familiar with uh, the biblical gospel. Uh, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He rose again the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You know, crucified for our sins. I do believe that God wants us to prosper, but it's not just all about money. Again, it's about having your health and having your... <laughs> oh, okay. God wants us to prosper, and it's not just money. I don't like that term, prosperity gospel. God wants us to prosper in more ways than just money, health and, and money and... Relationships, peace in your mind. Yeah. I, do, I do believe that God rewards obedience. I, I believe God blesses you when you do his work and be yeah. your best. A- ah, law-based. Very... Vague gospel just gets you in, do these works, apply these principles, grow your faith, and God will reward you and have peace and faith in that. Uh, where's the faith then? What's the object? Oh, me. Yeah. 
In another area, the new issue of Newsweek, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it discusses the Proposition 8 study in California and the defeat of the proposal to allow marriage among gays. Okay, here comes Larry King again. Ugh, we've got, you know, this whole gay you know, marriage thing in California. I got money that says Osteen's going to give the same answer he gave last year. And it claims that the Bible has many, many, many marriages among gays and that it does not come down on it. What? The, 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 what? Really? Where's the gay marriage? Where are the gay couples in the Bible? <laughs> Where? Help, help me out here, folks. I don't know any. Oh, I know. David and Jonathan, they were supposedly gay. <laughs> yeah. Ruth and Naomi, apparently lesbians. Doesn't say that in the text, but, you know, they were a little friendly with each other, so we all know what that means. <sighs> How do you feel about it? Well, the way I feel about it is... I'm, it's an interesting article, though. You ought to read sure, it. Sure, I have. Very asked. written in depth. Sure, I'd love to read it. I'm not for gay marriage. Every, in, in the Bible, I see that a, a marriage is between a male and a female. Now, I don't know. I've, I haven't read this new one that you're talking about. I'm not against anybody. I'm not against gay people or anybody else. But I just think that, uh, you know, that's my faith is based off the Scripture, and that's what I see in the Bible, that it should be between But this gives you other Scripture to think about. I mean, it, it's very interesting. Yeah, the I'd love, new to issue it. New, uh, I'd love to see it. Do you think it's a civil right, though? Uh, no. Marriage. Yeah, I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm up to speed on. What do you mean by that? <laughs> I I don't know. I I just, I'm not, I'm not up to speed. How many times have we heard him say he's not up to speed on something like that? What is he up to speed on, except for just being positive? Sounds like a politician, right? People have the right to marry whom they wish to marry. You know, for a time in this country, blacks couldn't marry oh, whites yeah. in the South. Yeah, oh, I think, absolutely. I think any, anybody should be able to. But not gays. Well, I just don't think that, you know, I don't think that's God's best. And no, I, oh, there it is. Yeah, I don't want to say it's a sin. Chris, it's just not God's best. Can you marry anybody you want to? Um, no, I, actually, I can't. I'm already married. Well... That's kind of narrow-minded. Oh, I see what you're getting at. You know, so basically, John, are you suggesting that I should be able to marry anybody I want? Well, I think so. So as many women as I want. And men. Uh, <laughs> back away, John. Um, what? And ever other married women. Right. You should be able to marry who you want. Because uh, all you need is love, right? That's right. Love is all you need. I see, I see where you're getting at. I mean, when you, once you make that argument without any qualification, well, it's um, anything goes. You know, has the Seinfeld episode go? Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, <laughs> but there is a lot wrong with it. Here we've got a. Here we've got Larry King asking Joel Osteen some pretty basic questions that any pastor should be up to speed on. But he's been too busy being positive, and so he's not up to speed on it. I don't think that's. that's Do you good. think if gay is a choice? I think that it is a choice. I do think it's a choice. I can't say that I understand it all, but I believe it's a choice. You minister to gay people? Absolutely. Anybody that comes through the doors. Do they come and ask you questions? I'm or do sure. they have difficulty dealing with a theology that runs against them? Uh, really, nobody who's gay who goes to Joel Osteen's church is going to have any problems with his theology because 
He doesn't talk about sin. <laughs> he just tells tells him how to be positive and how to not be a victim and how to be a victor and discovering the champion within. I mean, that you don't even have to. You, you can be a Buddhist and go to his church and not be offended. A Mormon. You can be a Mormon and go to his church and not be offended. You, any Name it. A Muslim. Well, maybe Muslims are a lot more exclusive. I think Muslims would be upset about this because Allah is not mentioned. Now, I think anybody's welcome to come. They know what I believe, but it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, that the, the scripture can't help them. And, you know, our church is not a place for perfect people. There's not, you know, I can't say and everybody. I can't go. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. So there's plenty of people that come in and have uh, difficulties and have issues. And, you know, we probably all have something, but... We're open and, you know, want it to be a place of, place of hope and healing. How do you feel, Victoria, about the gay question? Well, you know, I just, I believe marriage should be between man and a woman. And we do have um, gay people in our church. And then they're wonderful people. They're nice people. It's just that we just don't believe in that. All right. You, uh, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Yes. you agree with that? I do agree with that. So when you, you say it's okay to have money, you don't mean you love money. You don't love money. No, again, you go back to, you know, you know, people with that theology, go back to Abraham. You know, he's the wealthiest man. And I think David left his son, King Solomon, you know, hundreds of million of dollars in today's money to build the temple. So it's not that God's against you having money. It's what are you going to do with it? I mean, the flip side, Larry, that means that everybody with money, then, then we're evil or, you know, there's something wrong with us. But I couldn't, I don't, I don't believe that's God. Do you think the love of money might be part of the cause of this financial mess? Oh, yeah. I think so. I think we can. Read. Oh, I think so. I, you know, I'm not an expert on it, but just reading in the papers and things, I think people got out of balance and, you know, some of the salaries that you see and things, I, I think it, it was. Uh, the fortune tellers, the tarot card readers, the so-called psychics, that their business is booming in these troubled times. Does that trouble you? Well, I don't know if it troubles me, but, you know, people are looking for something to hang on to. I would. Does anything upset this guy? Does he feel strongly about anything except for just being positive? <laughs> Where are the scriptures that are transforming and renewing his mind? I don't feel strongly about that. No, I don't feel strong. I just don't feel, and i just not up to speed, and, and that's just not his best, and just so easygoing, and just so vanilla, so, just so... Hey, liked it. I'd, I'd say also the church is booming. At least our church and friends' churches are booming at this time because people are realizing that, you know what, I need some help. I need some strength in this time. So I don't think it's just them. I think people are turning to their faith. So there's no implication of people staying away from church? No, we've seen an increase. And we see people, they, 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 want, they want to come to God at this time. They want to understand. You know, they want to find comfort. And I think that's what happens. I think we find comfort in our faith and isn't it hard, Joel, to preach to the dying? Well, aren't you called in? Aren't ministers called yeah, in? Yeah, oh, sure, sure. Do? Oh, it's very difficult. It's difficult, but uh, you know what? Again, Larry, we go back to that having that hope of heaven. I mean, I've looked at people that are, you know, you know, they're not going to be there 24 hours, but you just, you know, pray that they'll have that peace and that strength and you know where they're going. But, you know, it's very hard. Very hard. I mean, it, it, how, how many. How often does Joel Osteen make a hospital call or a hospice call? What do you think? I think it's probably pretty rare. Yeah, I think so too. That would be my bet. 
I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, but when he talked about how hard it was, I just didn't. <laughs> it didn't sound like it was coming from a lot of personal experience. Or how many people come up to him after the service. Yeah. So. <sighs> I, I We could be wrong. I mean, he might, you know, with, you know, 30-something thousand people. I mean, he could be spending most of his time in the hospitals, you know, you know his free time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You get lessons in it? How no, to do it? Or? I'm not. I don't know that I'm. I, you know, every time's different, you know? I'm the world's worst because I cry more than the family cries. Because that they, sends them off well. <laughs> yeah, that's just, that's just me. But you know what? I, I still can go back to the, the fact that, you know, God can give you a peace that only he can give. And, and, you know, I've been there with people on their deathbed not far away. And, you know, many times they've just looked up and smiled and all kinds of stories. So, and, you know, I'm just a, you know, obviously I'm just a strong believer. And, of course, you believe in life after it. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yes, sir. We'll be right back. That was probably... One of the flimsiest answers I've heard in a long time. Yeah. I mean, his pastoral prowess and his hard stand on sin and calling men to repentance just, you know, has me literally shaking in my boots. And I've got goosebumps every time I hear him calling sinners to repentance and proclaiming Christ crucified for our sins. I mean, I've, I've, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, let's we're we're done with this little commercial break here on the TiVo here. So let's uh, we'll back this up and uh, catch a little more Joel Osteen. Program your thinking. I'm trying to put some new software in your computer today. This is the latest, greatest version available. It says every problem is temporary. That sickness is not permanent. That financial difficulty is not going to last forever. This too shall pass. Uh, Victoria, your new book your new book is Love Your Life, Living Happy, Healthy, and Whole. Tell me about the children's book that's coming. Oh, the children's books are from uh, ages zero to four. And it's the Happy Heart books. It's teaching children how to have grateful hearts. Well, there we see them. The Happy Heart book. <sighs> yeah. And then the unexpected treasure is for like four to seven, and it's a faith building book. Faith building book. They, these people have faith in their faith. <sighs> you know, I I'm done. Can't do, can't <laughs> cannot do anymore. We're done. 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 Did I mention I was done? Yes. Okay. Just want to make sure that I mentioned that I was done because I'm done. Good night. You know, folks, this man is considered the cutting-edge leader, most relevant guy out there now. I mean, he's he, he makes Rick Warren and Bill Hybels look like they're yesterday's garbage. Okay, he's got the largest church in the United States. And what is he feeding people? How much did you hear about Christ in that interview? Not a lot. Yeah, heard a lot about faith and faith, positive thinking and people needing help. And what what do they how do they help them? By teaching them to think positively rather than thinking biblically, to think positively rather than to confess your sins and receive the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, which is our really our hope. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in his coming. Our hope is in the kingdom of God. When it comes to earth, 
But uh, these guys of, wow, this hope that they're talking about with, this is not biblical hope. This is something completely, completely different. Well, we're at the end of our show. Um, if you would like to email us regarding anything you've heard, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Tomorrow, I think we're going to be talking about Islam. It'll be a fun little topic. And until then, uh, God bless you. <laughs>